Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. There's certainly the remainder of our contract. You have a fire department contract that's still open. You have a uh, PBPA super police supervisor's contract that's still open. You are going to have a teacher's contract next year. There's a lot of contractual issues coming forward. Hi, everybody. I'm Fran Spielman. My guest this week is Fraternal Order of Police President John Catanzara. John, thanks for joining us and welcome back. Thanks for having me, Fran. How are your members managing in this very intense heat, even though it's about to break? Well, it's, you know, just another kind of component of the job. You know, I came on in 95 during the heat wave when we lost 800 uh, Chicagoans. So it's certainly not a once in a lifetime. I guess you could say it might be once in a lifetime generational stuff, but um, you, you just kind of stay hydrated. You know, we're much more aware of circumstances probably now than we were even 30 years ago. So they're managing, unpleasant, but managing. What do you recall about that 1995 heat wave? I was around then, too, and the city's response was rather cavalier. They weren't prepared for it, and hundreds of people died because we didn't check in on them. Yeah, I remember, like I said, I got out of the academy in July of 95, and that was the middle of that heat wave, and it was a baptism by fire, so to speak. I worked in the 8th District, which had a large elderly population, and we spent a lot of days knocking on doors, checking on people, and sadly um, removing deceased members. That must have been just awful. My God, did, did you believe it? Had you ever seen anything like that before? No, I mean, and, and trust me, the heat is not kind to uh, um, decomposition. So it certainly was an unpleasant uh, reality to the job pretty quickly. And the city has changed its attitude, obviously. They're much more proactive, right, in reaching out to seniors who may not have family members to check in on them, sadly. Right. And, you know, you know the one thing about tragedies, I guess, if you learn a lesson – at least that's the positive point of it. If you repeat the problem, then, then you got some serious issues. But the city seemed to learn quite a valuable lesson back then and are doing a much better job at identifying and checking up on those senior citizens at risk. So you're not hearing those reports from the field this time? No, thankfully. Mayor Johnson has made it a priority to, as he put it, decompress police stations. And yet... 
There are still 1,100 asylum seekers sleeping on the floors of police stations. It's up 6% over the last week alone. Is it true that at some stations, asylum seekers have been told that they really need to stay outside during the daytime, even in this heat? Uh, I can't confirm that. I mean, certainly in the heat, it, it presents a different aspect. I would be surprised if in the extreme heat that that was the case. But in milder climates, absolutely. You know, the, the officers deserve some respite from the constant babysitting because there's no other way to describe it than babysitting. And <laughs> speaking of the migrants, I don't think there's one single one of them living in City Hall, whether it's on the county lobby floor or the city uh, the city hall floor. There's certainly plenty of space to put a couple hundred in there, but I don't see that happening in their workspace. But there's certainly no problem putting them in our workspace. And it, it's so ridiculous. There's actually mail. Migrants are now using police district addresses to receive their mail. They are now have CPS out there recruiting migrant children to register for CPS just to have that number in the next two weeks to grab as much tax revenue as they possibly can whether these kids come to school or not they don't care this is all a big game to far too many people and you think they should stay at city hall you think they should open up a building like city hall well i think if they think they're okay with the migrants living in the police department's working environment why not why be a hypocrite very starts at home put them in their working environment You've been incredibly critical of all this. You've called it a biohazard. You pointed to the death of a three-year-old girl earlier this month on a bus that continued to Chicago carrying migrants. What needs to happen here? You filed grievances with OSHA and others. None of them have gone anywhere. What does Mayor Johnson need to do, particularly during the run-up to the Democratic National Convention in Chicago next year, when his deputy chief of staff has warned that the number of bus loads arriving is only going to increase? Agreed. And it comes down to at what point does the Democratic local governments and state governments start screaming at the federal government to close the damn border. Enough is enough. To sit here and say we don't have an open border is so ridiculously short-sighted or ignorant. Um, But it's the politicians who just try and make believe like there's no big major issue here. There's nothing wrong with the border. That's where this is all coming from. And the reality is Texas and states like them, Arizona and California in part, have been dealing with this on their own for decades. Now they finally came up with a new strategy, mainly because of Texas and Governor Abbott, to start shifting the burden to other areas who claim they're sanctuary. Well, now sanctuaries come to your door. New York learned a hard lesson. Careful what you wish for, because now you're going to get it. And now what? It's always great when it's someone else's problem. But when it's in your front doorstep, it changes your perspective. And I don't know what the end result is going to be, but it's 360 days to this Democratic convention. And it's promising to build up to a real shit show, to be quite honest with you. And the people here have been very critical of Governor Abbott in Texas. They say it's a ploy. You don't think so. Uh, You're not... Criti- criticizing him, you're criticizing the people here. 
Yeah, I mean, how could you criticize a governor of a state who has had to shoulder the burden of an open border literally in his back door and to deal with it primarily on his own in any effective way, shape or form? And when he said enough is enough, you guys want to say your sanctuary? I'm going to start sending you the problems we've been dealing with and let's see how you like it. I don't know how that's political. It's literally a reality. Why should Texas have to suffer the burden alone? Again, Eric Adams has learned a one over a billion dollars a year, a billion dollars a year of tax money being spent on migrants in New York City. That's insane. But nobody seems to think that that's a problem. There is a major problem with this whole system. And the fix isn't even that complicated. But again, it seems the Democratic Party has calculated that let's let as many migrants in as possible, because whether it's them or their children who become citizens one day, those are going to be our voters. And that's all they seem to care about is those future votes. The fix is what do you think? Close the border, number one. And I've said this for many, many years now. Listen, the reality of getting well, what it used to be was 11, 12 million illegals in this country. Now it's probably upwards of 20 plus. Um, again, there's no reason why those people should ever get citizenship, green card or anything otherwise. Many of it, we understand why many of them came here. Economic reasons, trying to give their family a better life. I get it. But no different than our forefathers and my grandmother and grandfather who came here from Croatia. You, you, you sacrifice now for your future generations. So don't give them citizenship. Don't give them a green card. But at, as their generations develop, their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will be U.S. citizens. You're giving them a better life. But don't reward bad behavior and illegal behavior now. Find them. Listen, give them a working permit. I don't have a problem with that. And I always said, fine them $20,000, $25,000 for coming here illegally if they want that work permit and give them a structured kind of uh, payment to, to pay off that fine to be able to stay here and work as a documented illegal, whatever you want to call it. But you're never going to get them out of this country at this point. There's just too many. It's too big of a lift. So why even try and have that argument or that fight? And you mentioned New York paying a billion dollars. Chicago is not paying chicken feed either. We, we've we spent probably $150 million this year, and it's only going to ramp up. Are you afraid that's going to gobble up money that is needed for police officers and all kinds of other things, basic city services? Well, yeah, and then, you know, I, there's there's certainly the remainder of our contract. You have a fire department contract that's still open. You have a uh, PBPA super police supervisor's contract that's still open. You are going to have a teacher's contract next year. There's a lot of contractual issues coming forward. So to sit here and pretend like this, this is like free money. And uh, I don't know, but shame on the governor for not doing more, saying more. He's been absolutely invisible in a lot of this. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what it's going to take for the average citizen to wake up and say, what are we doing? You can't what do you I, want I get Mayor Johnson I, to do figure out somewhere other than the police stations to put these migrants' families right now. Number well, one. Well he's open ten shelters. He's oh. trying to find places as fast as he can, but it's just it's like, you know, trying to put your finger in the in a dam. Couldn't he be screaming to the governor, where's our money? You asked for I, I believe it was two hundred and fifty million dollars and what they get? Twenty? Um 10% of what they were asking for in the budget again, but 
you don't want to call out the governor. The governor wants to make Illinois a sanctuary state. Where's his money? He's worth billions of dollars. How much money of his own money? How many how many migrants has he taken in into his countless properties and vast acreage all over the United States? Has he taken any migrant families? No. They're all hypocrites at the end of the day. You think the governor should take some into the Hyatt hotel chain? <laughs> Why not? You know, we've had Chicago politicians talk about finding the right migrant family. I, have you seen Have you seen a single alderman taking a migrant family that I know? Not me. You have just returned from Vegas, where you were running for national vice president, uh, first vice president, and making a pitch for the national FOP conference to be held in Chicago. Uh, I believe in twenty twenty seven, but you lost on both fronts, and you weren't happy about it. What happened? Why do you think you lost? And what will you do about it going forward? Well. I mean, when it comes to the FOP, it, it's a political structure, just like anything else. And um, there's a reality that is specific to the conference in 2027. You know, it's not a knock on Salt Lake City, but our pitch was 100, you know, 10 times better. Um, our city is much more diverse and has many more opportunities. It is a Condi Traveler six-time big city winner. So... It wasn't really about the locations as much as it was about politics. And if the conference was in Chicago, the calculation was that not only would Chicago, Illinois, and the Midwestern labor states primarily have too much control over what the board of directors would look like because we would bring the most delegates to vote in that conference. And it seems to have gotten too many people afraid that we would take total control of the national board. So they decided to go to Salt Lake City to make that ever more difficult. Again, politics, politics, politics. And so what are you going to do about it? Can you do anything? Listen, the the endeavor of running for first vice president, that wasn't that wasn't personal at all with, you know, Joe Gamaldi, the current vice president. It was all about the structure of the FOP and the fact that we are the biggest individual lodge in the organization, hands down, not even close. And myself and my members have felt for several years now persona non grata in large part, you know, whether it was the riots in 20, the COVID battle in 21, or all the officers we've had injured and uh, this handful that we've uh, actually had killed in the line of duty. And there really hasn't been much involvement or outreach by the national board of directors. And it was about not accepting that level of basically indifference anymore. The conference got a lot of dirty laundry aired personally and, and, you know, out in public even, so to speak. And I think they realize our grievances um, with them has been heard and they're uh, pledging to uh, address them is about the best way I could put it, Fran. So we'll see. The proof is in the pudding. And if they decide to change the dynamic that we've experienced the last several years, well, then the conference wasn't a waste of time. It was absolutely a win. Mayor Johnson has chosen counterterrorism chief Larry Snelling to be Chicago's new police superintendent. How do you feel about that choice? Have you met with him since the announcement? And if so, would you tell him? Yes. So, I mean, it was pretty clear. It was more than likely going to be Snelling or Angel Navalis. Um, I think the outsider aspect was uh, just kind of a nice possibility, but it was never going to be a reality. So, I had plenty of conversations with uh, Navalis and Snelling leading up to the final pick. But when when uh, Larry was finally acknowledged as the heir apparent, 
Uh, you know, I messaged them within five minutes of the announcement being official. We had pretty good, reliable sources that it was going to be done that day. But he called me back within 20 minutes himself and, and said, hey, thanks. Um, we need to get together soon and we need to talk about what we are going to do for the men and women of this department to try and fix the damage that's been done and, and look out for them, number one. Because to his credit, he understands the importance of any other corporation structure that the employee's satisfaction results in a better work product. There is just no other way to look at it. And if you have disgruntled employees in any business, you are going to get a subpar performance from those employees. So we've been suffering from the lowest morale that I've ever seen in my 30 years. So, and I applaud Larry for understanding that and, and literally making that priority number one, because not only will it translate to a better, happier workforce, it will translate to safer city streets and a better police department as a whole, which is supposedly the goal of all of this. You haven't met with him yet then? No. And, I, you know, I mean, well, we run into each other all the time at various functions. Right. But what do you put when you finally sit down and talk turkey with him? What will you say are the top things right away that you want him to do? Well, I think number one is the working schedule and the cancellations of days off need to be as minimized as possible uh, because that's been the reoccurring theme for a lot of officers not being able to have uh structured time off that they can either just do nothing and sit at home on their on their backsides or actually plan activities with their family friends uh it's just been a struggle for better part of three plus years now for any officer to do those kind of things and that's that's priority number one i think number two um it's absolutely feeling like 35th in michigan backs up our officers we are not perfect but i know and I've seen firsthand countless examples of the amazing work our officers do, but then end up getting Monday morning quarterback and second guest in millimeter kind of judgments. And it's just unfair. And where Larry Snelling comes in is dissecting that use of force because he is a use of force expert by definition, pretty much. And what his take publicly is going to be on the next serious incident that occurs with the Chicago police department and a member of the city. Um, and, and what his take is going to be, is it going to be the same as mayor Johnson's? Are they going to have the same message or going to have different messages? We shall see. Is mayor Johnson leaving hands off the police department or is he playing checkers like some of the other mayors have? Um, Kind of too early to tell. And, and that was kind of my comment about, you know, a mass exodus. If, if Mayor Johnson became reality and, you know, everything he said during the campaign became a reality. Well, a lot of those things have not come to fruition, thank God. And he definitely picked um, a great candidate for superintendent. So maybe he got enough quality voices around him to kind of reel in much of the rhetoric that he put forth during the campaign and be a little more practical about the fact of the city is only safe if the workforce is working properly. And that literally means you have to stop blaming the police for everything that's wrong in this city. It is just not factual. It's unfair. And you're definitely creating an exodus if you do that. Um, I, he's been very quiet. <laughs> he he seems to hide away from the microphones and cameras as much as possible, which is a very different approach than the prior four years. But um, 
We'll see. I don't know if it's hard to tell if it's just a different version or if he's just playing nice to get through the convention because they want to make that as smooth as possible. I don't know, but I guess we find out in 365 days what the the real Mayor Johnson looks like. But you have been wrong so far in your prediction of a mass exodus of as many as a thousand officers. No, I haven't. Because what I told you and what I just explained was it was all about his rhetoric, his promises of his campaign, the torture, the monument for John Burge victims, the uh, the Rekia Boyd monument, the closing of home and square and all of these things he said he was going to do, that they were such a priority and his previous comments about defunding the police and reallocating monies somewhere else. If all of those things come to fruition and he picked a terrible superintendent, we would have seen a mass exodus. That's I'm telling you, I know my members, I hear it all the time, but right now he has not been a fire and brimstone mayor like Lightfoot was for, I guess, to his credit. Um, But again, is that just smoke and mirrors until we get through this convention because they don't want to rile everybody up before the convention? I don't know. But the proof will be in the pudding as we go forward here. So the reason you have you were wrong so far is because he has not been the mayor. He looked like he was going to be. Is that what you're well, saying? Well, that looked like he was going to be the mayor. He, he said he was going to be. Yeah, and, and, right. and everything he said as a county commissioner. So a lot, a lot of that, that Brandon Johnson right now is not necessarily the Brandon Johnson that's running the city, which is a good thing. Again, I'm not knocking it. I just hope that it's a permanent change and not a temporary one through the convention. You have your doubts. You're waiting and seeing. I mean, does a leopard change its spots? That's that's I mean, how do you go from such extreme positions to all of a sudden more neutral and middle of the road ones, which is where most politicians should be, in my opinion. But far too many like to take one extreme or the other. But by the end of the campaign, he was promising not to to cut one single dollar from the police department budget, but rather to redirect one hundred and fifty million to other things like uh, hiring and promoting rather more detectives, 200 more and uh, closing home and square and directing some of the money to the consent decree, 50 million more. Uh, Does he he has not promised to fill the 1,700 police vacancies, does he need to do that for your members to have a schedule that they can live with? I mean, does he need to fill every single one of them? No, because we've we've operated in minor deficits in the past, but I would say a good target number would be two-thirds of those, at, at the very least, to get some semblance of normalcy back to the membership and their schedules. Um, but it's not just, you know, Mayor Johnson that has the ability to do that. The city council has the ability to do that. We've had conversations nonstop with the city about not only recruiting, but retention. Let's focus on keeping the senior officers here and not chasing them out the door the first chance they get. I know there's a push to do that. It's been obvious for several years now, especially under Lightfoot, that they want the older officers gone so they can train a new generation of officers to police in the way they want them to be policing. And it's it's kind of short-sighted because it's led to the problems we have right now. 
One of the simplest examples I gave to the city's negotiating team was, and even the chief financial officer for the city uh, under the Johnson administration is, retention needs to be the biggest concentration going on right now, probably even more than recruitment, because you can't save a patient unless you stop the bleeding. We need to stop the bleeding first. And the easiest way to do that is incentivizing senior officers to stay on this job. Many other departments with money. That's the sad, sad reality is money. If you incentivize people with money to stay, and again, understand the pension that those officers would be collecting is still a debt the city has to account for in their budget. So why would you want to have an officer collecting a seventy or $80,000 a year pension in perpetuity if you can incentivize them every year by a $10,000 bonus, let's say, that's $60,000 less you have to account for in the budget and funding in the pension by giving them a $10,000 a year bonus every year at year 20 to stay on the job until we write the ship with the numbers of qualified officers on the street. That's, that's one simple example of something the city can do. And I know it sounds crazy. Oh my God, he's talking $10,000. That's a lot of money. It is but it's not as much as a pension that you'd have to pay for if that officer walks out the door and says, pay me. So again, that's one example. And then you can go on recruitment bonuses all over the country. There's a website that really was really, probably if on a good day, you'd have 25 to 30 listings across the country for lateral transfers. Now there's 20 pages of listings of job openings everywhere with upwards of 25 and $30,000 signing bonuses for new officers, lateral transfers to transfer to other departments, $20,000 bonuses. Everybody is experiencing this and you have to be competitive in this environment if you are going to maintain the right number of people and increase your ranks back to what they're supposed to be in the budget. So what should the bonus be for lateral transfers? You know, I, I don't know. Lateral transfers is a tougher sell because you know, people went to the suburbs or county sheriff offices for a reason. I don't know you're going to get many lateral transfers who want to come to Chicago. Um, that means they have to uproot their family and come live in the city limits. The, the I was just using that as an example that financial incentives are what the norm is right now. And the city needs to wake up to that reality and start getting on board and playing the game. Otherwise, this doesn't change. And then if it doesn't change, and they don't get on board, then I guess you can say that his lack of a plan to fill those 1,700 vacancies was intentional. Uh, I, I, I kept talking about it during the campaign. No one is questioning him about those vacancies and his pledge to fill them. He never, ever made that pledge. I said that from day one. Sadly, yeah, Paul Vallis. We tried on many occasions to yeah. get him nailed down on that. He would not answer that question. That's correct. And he doesn't answer a lot of questions very directly. That's correct. been my experience so far anyway. Uh, former interim superintendent Charlie Beck, the former longtime chief of the LAPD, has advised the new superintendent to work on morale by getting rid of merit promotions that he abolished only to have David Brown restore them. He said that nobody trusts the promotional system, nor should they. But Snelling, who benefited from merit promotion, said he plans to keep merit promotions with a more stringent process. What do you think of that? Does that trouble you? No, actually, you know, we, we've we've had officers on all sides of the spectrum. And, you know, Larry's Larry's career is is what it is. But. I've never personally had an issue with merit promotions when done properly because I've seen at least two officers I personally work with 
who were phenomenal police officers, literally some of the best well-prepared officers and fair officers I've ever known who just did not test well and ended up finally getting their merit promotions and making the most of those merit promotions. One of them got all the way up to deputy chief. So um, it is what it is. Has it been abused? Absolutely. But, you know, most things in this city is political and it gets abused. It wasn't necessarily David Brown. David Brown, you know, was convinced to reinstitute the merit promotions. And it was Eric Carter that abused it. He literally had his his handpicked scorecard of who he was going to promote, which really resulted in a lot of issues and highlighted a lot of shortcomings in 2020 during the riots with unqualified command staff who had no idea what they were doing. Commanders literally cowering in a corner during riots while the police officers that they were under control of literally were getting abused and they're hiding in a corner cowering. It was disgusting, but it it showed the problems with merit. Our one of my simplest proposals for merit is you get one time. You get one merit promotion in your whole career, number one. Number two, you cannot be promoted by a deputy, a, a civilian member of the police department. You know, the head of EAP doesn't get a pick. Robin Roberts, who used to be in the communications office, doesn't get a pick. You have to be a sworn law enforcement officer to make a merit promotion recommendation. Number one, you have to be current on the job. We've had retired members that are still getting their merit promotion picks promoted. Literally, uh, a deputy chief or a former chief, Dion Boyd, um, who died several years ago, is still getting merit promotion. He just got a merit promotion pick, I think, two, two lists ago. What are we doing? These members are no longer part of the department. Their people and their, their lackeys should not be considered for promotion. It needs to be officers, sworn officers, and current members of the department that get the considerations to start with. And there should be a very, very clear, um, I guess, summarization of what that officer did under your command, not under somebody else's. Why are you promoting? Why are you recommending them? What did they do for you? That doesn't happen right now. You and Lori Lightfoot were pretty much at loggerheads over everything law enforcement, pausing only long enough to hammer out part of the police contract that gave your members a, a, a big retroactive raise. Um, now, after the city suffered a pair of defeats at the bargaining table, you're back at the bargaining table trying to resolve at least some of the unresolved issues, even as arbitration continues. And in a surprise twist, we have Jim Franzek, the lead negotiator, is back, whom Lori Lightfoot fired for doing a lengthy interview on this show where he essentially endorsed Paul Vallis. How are those negotiations going and what do you make of Brandon Johnson's willingness to turn the other cheek and retain Franzek for now? Well, let's start with Lightfoot. She decided she wanted a war from day one when I took over. She got a war. She's gone. I'm not. So um, we'll start with that mentality. And I hope it's a lesson learned that uh, we're not going to back down from any mayor. And you may be at your own peril if you want to have a war as opposed to having more logical discussions. Franzik was fired for your interview. And the joke even with Franzik himself is, he can thank us for getting him rehired because we were pitching to the Johnson administration that we didn't want to start over with a new law firm, that we were far too deep in the weeds with the forensic negotiating team. And it made more sense just to continue and get this done under that, you know, kind of um, structure. And they agreed and retained them. Um, so still waiting for my Christmas card from forensic on that one. But 
the negotiating specifically, the reason we went back to the negotiating table in sorts, and again, understand, the interest arbitration process is still in place. It is still going forward. We just met with arbitrator Ben yet again this week, um, and it's going to continue with the mediation arbitration process. But the reason we went also, and there's nothing stopping us from negotiating along the same time frame. And the reason we did that was because arbitrator Ben made it very clear to both parties. There are a lot of proposals you have both put forth in this rest of the track part that I think there's other avenues that needs to be addressed that interest arbitration is not the proper venue for it so he is not going to address those so you guys if you want any movement on any of those you need to figure it out amongst yourselves which is why while the process is going on we also are negotiating to try and get some of these other things uh tidied up and in a perfect world we basically get an agreement by agreement and we don't have to even finish the arbitration process so and his work is done well you know there's been some I, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into details, but I will just tell you, um, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, I, the city under Lightfoot has definitely yanked our chain in the past, no doubt, and delayed as much as they possibly could to see what was going to happen during the election. That threw a big curveball in all of this. And uh, I think currently the conversations that are going on are sincere. Um, I think that the mayor has an interest in getting this contract wrapped up. I think his fear is looking like he caved into the police union, which is a joke because, um, and when you talked about a huge back pay, by the way, we didn't get a gigantic increase. We got two and a half percent, which, which cost of living, half of it was retro, the 20%, well, more than half. Well, that's because of how many years it was. I mean, well, we were, we were yeah. five and a half years expired at that point. Um, but the number itself was paltry considering no, inflation made it two and a half percent, almost nothing. We almost lost money in reality because of inflation and the national economy. But I, I think the mayor is practical enough to know that he wants this off his table. You know, the, the CFL uh, has put forth this labor treaty with the city and the Democratic uh, Convention Committee, all that good stuff. Well, I made it very clear. We have no labor treaty because we still are technically, I guess, at war because we still have an open contract that this city has dragged its feet on getting closed out once and for all and incomplete. But we'll see where this goes. I, I like to say I'm very optimistic with the conversations we had the last two weeks about actually getting this all done in a negotiated agreement and we will have labor peace for a very decent amount of time going forward. Can you talk about some of the issues that are still outstanding that you've made progress on? Uh, I, I, yeah, I could, but I'm not going to, because, uh, you know, I, the last time, you know, um, the last time Ed Ben was involved in an arbitration interest uh, that obviously turned into the Mike Shields incident and accusing uh, the Donahue regime and all of that stuff. And it just turned into a, a circus. And I'm not going to do that with this process. I'm just very optimistic about where we're at and the talks that are being held. And the fact that Ed Ben has done a phenomenal job as the uh, arbitrator and mediator about guiding the conversations to a negotiated settlement as opposed to an imposed award that he would have to issue. What's it say about Brandon Johnson that he is willing to turn the other cheek and keep a guy like Franzic who has institutional memory and knowledge up the wazoo? Well, it's practical. I mean, again, you have 
not only our contract, then you have local twos fire contract, then you have the PBPA supervisor's contract, and then a teacher's contract. And all of those have to be figured out before the convention next year. Or the labor of party doesn't look so much like the labor of party after all. And again, labor of party, there's so many other lingering issues that are sitting on the mayor's desk, i.e. the COVID policy and the labor board ruling that AFSCME got. And our labor board hearing on those same issues coming up in October of this year that we postponed because we actually had some court victories that got us an arbitration process. But the, the labor board said the mayor was wrong. The policy was wrong as the way it was implemented. And everybody needs to be made whole, rehired, and paid 7% back pay. The labor board is very clear about that. And again, our issues are exactly the same pretty much as AFSCME was in that argument. But it so, says something about Brandon Johnson that he's not a grudge holder like Lori Lightfoot was, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does. But I'm, that, so it's kind of weird. That's because a positive thing, isn't it? Well, yes and no, but then why are we still having this conversation about that labor board ruling? If you are a mayor of labor and the labor board told you the previous mayor was wrong, this is the easiest low-hanging fruit he has in front of him. You could literally throw the mayor Lightfoot under the bus because it was her policy and her dictatorship policy, you know, kind of way she had everything going that you could say it was her policy that was wrong. I'm just abiding by the labor board ruling. We are going to make every city employee whole and do what the labor board said. I had no control over what was done before, but I'm going to write that wrong now. But he has not done that at what all. What has and he shape, done on that? Nothing. They filed exceptions exceptions to the uh, the labor board ruling. And um, again, that's on the ASME case. We're going to have now, and he's going to force us now to have a full hearing over the same issues again in October. How many so, officers are we talking about that need to be restored their pay? To me, oh, we're talking... Uh, um, so we had over 3,300 exemption, religious exemptions. Um, there's probably over somewhere between 1,000 to 2,000 officers who lost anywhere from one day to we have three officers who still never came back to work because of this policy. They just refused to go in the portal and, and give that information up and protect their collective bargaining rights. So, so you want again, them paid their money? now and reinstated with the seniority back pay just like every other city employee is entitled to that's what a mayor does he swallows the bitter pill that his predecessor put on his plate and just but again you can't say you're the party of labor if you are not willing to abide by labor contracts unless it's a teacher's issue that cannot be the path forward here so it's that kind of thing that doesn't make you trust that he's a different kind of mayor than he said he was going to be. You're not sure yet. I'm not because this is the simplest thing, Fran. It's literally, it doesn't, it's not a gift to the police department. It's the fire department. It's the teachers. It's every other city agency that would be, I, I guess, benefited by just doing what the labor board said and not fighting it anymore because it was Lightfoot's problem, not his. So there's no basically stain on his record, but he can't even bring himself to do that. And that's yeah, kind of disheartening. He, he stopped you from getting the two-tiered pension uh, eliminated in Springfield. You were poised to get, you had the votes for that. You decided to wait until the fall and be part of a pension working group. Is it going anywhere? Is it getting anywhere in terms of new ideas? We've had a million working groups over the years for this problem. Well, 
But it wasn't eliminating the two tiers. It was eliminating the disparity between our pension and local two's pension. Um, they they get a flat 3% COLA. Ours has a birth date year. They used to have a birth date year. They got their birth date year restriction eliminated. That's all we were ever asking for was parity with the fire department pension. Um, but we didn't agree to wait. We had the votes. We had more than 85 votes. And it, it was Mayor Johnson's request of Speaker Welch to hold the bill till the veto session, till they can absorb the issues and costs a little more than what they understood it at that point. Speaker Welch, even with pushback from his own party, basically said he was going to grant that wish and hold off on calling it till the veto session. The only I guess, benefit was, and almost indifference was, even if it got passed in the spring session and signed by the governor, it wouldn't have any financial impact until January of next year anyway. So the fact that it's going to wait till October in the veto session, it didn't make a difference financially to any of but our members right now. Group, is it getting anywhere? So what, what are well, they coming up with? So the working group is just, uh, it's had two meetings thus far and they've been primarily informational just about what the city's team has come across as far as funding issues and other thing. And then there's been discussions um, about legislation that's a uh, long time past currently on the table and then how we got to where we're at and just kind of having a roadmap laid out about what we're going to do to address it going forward. It is now broken up into um, several subcommittees kind of, if you will, about, I'll give you a perfect example. When I had brought up to the chief financial officer about retention and the retention bonuses and why it makes sense that every city agency focuses on retention, she absolutely agreed with everything I was saying. 100%, you're right. It makes more sense to talk about that than having the obligation of the funding liability for that pension fund if they retire. So now there is going to be, there is a retention subcommittee, um, a workforce committee, underneath that whole pension work group kind of thing so there is some movement there is some i, I think real interesting conversations taking place like any new funding uh, ideas well i mean on our end um on anybody's end listen I, they want to give us a parking garage at o'hare we'll be more than happy to take that in exchange for uh, some of the reliability for our pension fund but uh, there's been i mean they they would basically, and this has been discussed before, as an example, give us one of the parking garages at O'Hare in exchange for a percentage of the funding obligation for the police fire pension fund. Um, and, and we'll control it ourselves, kind of like, uh, you know, the Skyway that Richie Daly gave away so ingeniously, um, or the parking meters. And then we get to control that revenue and pay for our own pension funds um, investment kind of thing like that. But I, I know there's you been conversations. That? Who proposed that? We didn't, that's been proposed in the past was my point. It's been, it's been floated um, out there. So are, you, are it, you interested in that? I had such a deep dive. I, I just want them to, to get this casino thing figured out, get it built and stop playing games with the slot machines in the city. Let's start putting slot machines at the airports. Everybody, I mean, if we're having gambling, then let's have gambling. It's like we want to get just our foot wet, but not the rest of ourselves. Jump in the pool. If you're going to do it, do it and start getting revenue in now. We are wasting time, which is wasting revenue, and it makes no sense whatsoever. And you think slots at the airport is should be part of it? 
Well, that's a simple, that's a simple thing you could have done in a couple months and literally yeah. up and running. Yeah. And before we let you go, we see a, a slight decline in shootings and homicides, but the brazenness of these robberies in broad daylight, what is the answer to this? Well, I know lawmakers don't like it, especially in Springfield, but there has to be some level of a mandatory minimum for some of these crimes. We, we can't just keep letting judge uh, after judge have some discretion where an ankle monitor, probation, and all of this. I mean, there's just some crimes that you deserve as we use it, the vernacular in the police department, a timeout. You deserve a timeout from society because you've proven you cannot behave in a reasonable manner. I mean, and I'm not talking stupid stuff. I'm talking, as you said, brazen attacks where there is no shame, literally outright executions. Um, whether they kill somebody or not, just the fact that they're willing to stand in the middle of a street and start shooting at people means next time you could catch that bullet accidentally. Those people do not deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to probation or even out on bond. You should be sitting in jail until you have your day in court. And if you get your day in court, you need to do some time in prison to basically think about what you've been doing. And if you want to rehabilitate, God bless. But again, we're far too lenient in this society right now on violent criminals, and it's disgusting, which is why we are not only the, the convention is going to be garnering a lot of our attention and focus, but more importantly, the state's attorney's race next November. Um, the, the amount of uh, involvement and focus that the teachers union put in that mayor's race is what we are intending on doing in that state attorney's race, because that's probably even more important than the mayor's race, to be quite honest with you, as far as law abiding and civilized society in Chicago. John Catanzaro, thanks so much for joining us, and we will see you all after Labor Day. Have a good holiday. Thanks, Rand. <laughs>